Good morning, 1015. How are you doing this morning? Glad you're all here. Uh, man, it's been a fun morning already. Will you put your hands together? Welcome those who are attending live online right now. Glad that you're here. Share this service. I'm telling you, it could make a huge impact in someone's life this morning. If you are new with us, welcome. We say it every week. We want to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints, particularly if they are St. Mary's or St. Peter's this last week. It's been rough, isn't it? I, I was watching, you know, some of you, how many of you are IU fans that just love when Purdue loses? Okay. I, I want to tell you how many of you are Purdue fans that you celebrated the last decade of IU basketball. Anybody out there? Okay. I want to tell you, man, I'm an IU fan, but when Purdue is in a tournament, I'll root for Purdue. I don't have any hate. And I saw people like calling for Matt Painter's head. What's wrong with you guys? You have a great program. It's chill. You know, and I was, uh, there's a reason I've kind of shared some of this. You know, watching the NCAA this last week, I, I, I got to confess something, you know, because it's good to uh, do a little confession before we teach God's word. I found myself rooting for the Duke Blue Devils this last couple of weeks. <laughs> and I just need your prayer. It's <laughs> Coach K's last run, man. Come on. I, I'm all right. Do we have any Dukies out there? There was a couple of you. You can finally admit it. Yes. How many of you will never root for Duke ever, ever, ever under any circumstance? Okay, that's what I thought. Um, you know, and I was thinking about how, like, in the NCAA tournament, we can build up the anticipation and expectation and all of this stuff, and then we get overwhelmingly disappointed. I, I, I want to talk about something this morning that I think most Christians even don't really expect, don't anticipate how phenomenal it's going to be because they're afraid it's not going to be that great. Afraid it's going to lead to disappointment. And that's heaven. If you've been with us for the last three, now four weeks, we've been studying the book of Revelation. There are 22 chapters in the book of Revelation, so we only have four weeks. And so we looked at this very real revelation that the disciple John had from God, taken to the throne room of God, wrote that, that dream, that revelation down as he was caught up to heaven. He wrote it to, to seven literal churches in the Roman Empire, a letter of discipleship talking about what the return of Christ in the end times are gonna look like. And over the last two weeks, we talked about that timeline that's going to occur and the tribulation that will happen and then we'll be caught up to heaven and there will be the, the moment where Jesus uh, comes and returns and that thousand year reign and the end of everything. And then we finally get after the battle with the Antichrist and Armageddon and all that stuff we talked about last week, we finally get the end of all things and the beginning of eternity with God in the new heaven and the new earth. And that's what I want to talk about. How incredible it would be and how much we undersell it today. Now, one of the things I had hoped to throw in there this morning was signs of the end times. I decided I can't do it all. You know, I'm not Jesus. So uh, here's what I am going to do, though. One time only, I'm going to be talking about a full-length message online about signs of the end times this Wednesday, Facebook Live at noon. So if you're on your lunch hour, this Wednesday at noon, Facebook Live, I'm going to be uh, detailing and responding to all your questions on the signs of the end times. But the question I want to ask you this morning is, what do you think heaven will actually be like? I want to tell you, this is so important to me. Um, when I was in seminary, I decided to write a paper on heaven for this uh, systematic theology course. 
And at the uh, end of the time it was due, I was supposed to write a 10-page paper. I wrote 10 pages, and I was going to turn it in. And I was like, you know what? I was really enjoying learning. I'm not going to turn it in yet. And I took an extra three weeks, and I ended up writing a 30-page paper. I went in and turned in a 30-page paper into my professor three weeks late. And he looked at me like I was crazy. And he said, you do realize that you lose a third of a grade every single uh, week that went by and you didn't turn this in. I was like, yeah, I know. It's like the best I can do is a B now. He's like, no, no, no. Like a third of everything. The best you can do is a zero. I was like, man, I wish I would have read the syllabus. But I never regretted that because, I, man, I believe what we're studying this morning, I get really passionate about it because I think it's incredibly important for us to know what we have to look forward to. And I believe heaven is under attack and we downplay the significance of what it will be like. Okay, enough of my soapbox. You ready to study God's word together? Come on, Revelation chapter 21, verse one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Why we need a new heaven and a new earth? What was wrong with the old ones? You ever get confused by when this passage, when it says a new heaven and a new earth and what that means? I'm going to describe this morning uh, what I believe that looks like throughout Scripture. But for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her, her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, I love the old school King James, behold, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. Everything's changed. He goes on and he says, they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. Now you remember in John chapter 19, Jesus' last words on the cross, it is done finished. To tell us style, it's paid in full that the high priest once a year would sacrifice the Passover lamb that would pay for the sins of all of the Jewish community for that year. And at three o'clock in the afternoon, the high priest would come out and he would say, to tell us die, it's paid in full. The sins are forgiven for this one year. And Jesus in John 19, with his last words on the cross, says, to tell us that it's paid in full. This Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus, was the atoning sacrifice, not for a year's worth of sin for the Jewish community, but for all time, anybody who repents of their sin and receives the free gift of mercy and grace because of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus on the cross could be forgiven. It is finished. Our sin is paid for. Amen? Amen. So, this phrase here is significant when it says that it is done. Now, it's not just that your sins are paid for, but everything has been set in motion. And the whole timeline that we've been studying is finally concluded. And God is going to finally get to be with his people. And we're going to get imagery set up of what the Garden of Eden originally was meant to be. You remember God walked with Adam in the Garden of Eden. He literally was with his people. He dwelled with them. Now he's going to be with us eternally in the new heaven and the new earth. And we're going to break all that down. 
But he said to them, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious, remember Revelation 2 and 3, to each of the seven churches, it says to the one who is victorious or to the one who overcomes, you will receive eternal life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. That's a nice pick-me-up this Sunday morning, wasn't it? We talked about this at the beginning of the series, the, the second death. And one of the theological questions I got emailed was, that second death, what about people that are going to be eternally you know, sent to hell, cast away from God, separated from him, him forever? What, what about people who never got to hear the gospel, who are in a people group where the Bible hadn't been translated yet and they never heard it. Great question. And, and most uh, Christians would fall in a combination of what is theologically the exclusive and the inclusive position. There's a third position, universalism, that uh, most Christians would not hold, and that's that everybody's just getting in. But that inclusive position leaves room for those who never got to hear the gospel. But they are given the opportunity after death. Exclusive is there's not even that opportunity. And the truth is we don't 100% know, but we do know it is only through Jesus Christ alone and that everybody in this room who lives in American culture has known about the work of Christ. So it doesn't really matter to your personal life because the question that I got emailed went on and said, well, then why even try and live as a Christian? Why don't I just go live it up in my sinful life? Because the reality is you've heard about it and I don't know about you, but I don't want to take the chances like that. And so beginning to honor God in our spiritual walk and knowing that, man, we only get this side of heaven, though those who reject God with their life will be separated from him forever to the place where Satan reigns, which we know is hell. And see, I believe that sometimes we downplay how amazing heaven is going to be because we don't really understand what the Bible teaches on it. And I want to tell you, if we believe heaven is real, today our lives will look a lot different. And that's what I want to discuss together. If we believe heaven is real, today will look a lot different. Will you pray with me? God, I know I'm going to get excited because uh, I believe this stuff is real. And everything we've done for four weeks has been leading up to this moment when it is done. You've returned Christ the final resurrection occurs. We're given our perfected physical bodies and we live with you eternally in the new heaven and the new earth. And as we get into the details of this, God, speak to us. If there's anything that is keeping us from fully knowing you this side of heaven, may you remove that from our lives this morning. We acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit both here and in the spaces of those attending online. And we pray that supernaturally you would speak to our minds this morning and change us into the people you created us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name and all of God's family said, amen. 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 You know, one of the best parts about uh, this time of year, you know, the third winter. Anybody out there? Somebody said third winter. I still think it's second winter because you know it's going to snow like April 27th, right? You know, you know that's going to happen. But I was thinking about how much at this time of year uh, we look forward to spring break. Who's ready for spring break to get here? Come on. Now, 
I got three kids all in school, so this is like the only time we can go do stuff. And you don't have to go travel to some exotic place to have a great vacation or uh, downtime. But I was thinking about the best part of uh, spring break actually isn't the spring break itself, is it? You're like, no, you're dead wrong. 80 degrees, Florida, it's amazing. No, most of the time, you know how it is. You go on the, the vacation, and when you get there, it's all right, but it's not everything you hoped and dreamed. It never goes perfectly the way that you always envisioned it in your head. And one of the best parts about going on spring break is the anticipation of it, right? Like, I can't wait. When I get there, my life is finally going to be whole again. <laughs> I was thinking about that. It's kind of a side note, but I was also thinking about, like, we do the same thing with the NCAA tournament that I just talked about. Like, we build it all up, and all of a sudden, you're calling for Matt Painter's head. What's wrong with you people? Would you, you know, because you had these expectations, and they weren't met. And I think because sometimes our expectations aren't met, and when I think about paradise, I think about maybe where I might go or you might go on spring break, and we think that if we have all this anticipation and expectation, uh, most of the time in this world, it doesn't meet the expectation of that. And so we often think, I believe, that heaven is no different. That we're afraid to really dream and think about what it would be like. Imagine what heaven actually is like because we just think in the end it's not going to be that great. We're just going to be floating around on the clouds playing harps together. This life here is a lot more fun because we can sin now. We can't sin when we get to heaven. But you don't understand what it's like to not have sin in the world. To actually experience the presence of the creator of the universe. To be in his presence. To be with God in paradise forever. We can't even comprehend what that would be like. And so this morning, I want to get you excited. I want you to dream again. I want you to live in expectation of what heaven is going to be like, because it's going to be a whole lot better than the spring break you may or may not be going on. See, uh, we talked about the, the return of Christ and the resurrection, even the rapture last week, but this week we're going to talk about the reunion, where we're finally with God again, and we are finally uh, in right relationships with other human beings and the first concept, at least in Revelation, that we know about the reunion in, of heaven is that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. How many of you, just be honest, that totally confuses you? You're like, I thought we were already going to heaven. I believe biblically, I mean, and I'll tell you, there are different perspectives on heaven, but I believe the, the Bible most likely teaches that when you die, you go to be with Jesus, the thief on the cross. Jesus tells him, today you will be with me in paradise. Not like a super long time from now when I come back, but today. Now, Luther and Calvin, I didn't say this at the first service, but uh, Martin Luther and uh, John Calvin believed in soul sleep. So it was like you died and then it feels like you just woke up the next day, but it could have been, you know, many, many millennia until the return of Christ. Uh, I, I don't hold that position. Uh, but I believe that when you die, you go to be with Jesus immediately. Your soul does, your spirit. And that one day when Jesus returns and the final resurrection occurs, that's when you get your physical body, perfected body. So if some of you are like, I don't really want this body forever, right? And you're like some of, some of the guys, you're like that age, you've lost some of the hairs on your head. I, when you get to heaven and you got that perfected body, you can have like Fabio hair. You let it blow. It's going to come that big. You need a big brush. I, 
You know, as, the, the truth is, you're, we're not going to be vain like that. You're not going to, you know, care as much, but your body is not going to fall apart and decay anymore. And you're not going to feel like you have to look, look a certain way in order to, to be loved or to be happy in your life. It's perfect in every way. And that each of us built uniquely that new heaven and the new earth that when we get that resurrected body, that finally what God had intended in the beginning of humanity, that God, who only is the one that lives in heaven, heaven is the other place where only God can reside. I don't know what that metaphysically means, but it means that we can't go there right now. But the place of God will finally be combined with the perfected earth that no longer decays and no longer has problems of its own. And the heaven and earth will collide and we will live in paradise with God forever. That's Revelation 21 verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth that passed away and there was no longer any sea. In fact, Isaiah, you know, many centuries earlier, uh, prophesied and wrote in chapter 65, verse 17, see, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. That when we are there eternally with God, you're not going to be thinking about, oh man, I really wish I was back on that old place. Right? Because it's so much better. It's so much better. In 2 Peter 3, verse 13 in the New Testament, but keeping, in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. We're going to look at later that, that God literally is going to dwell with us in this new heaven, in this new earth, coming together in one place. In fact, if you think about heaven and eternity where you'll spend it as just like some type of ethereal, you know, mystical place, and you don't realize that there will actually be physical earth that we will live in paradise with God forever, you're missing out on the beauty that God has given us. It, that it won't just be humans and God either. There will be a creation itself. There will be animals. Say, well, how do you know there's going to be animals? Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6 the wolf will live with the lamb. The, the lamb isn't going to get eaten anymore by the wolf because there's no more pain or death, mourning, sadness, tears. The old order of things has passed away. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. Then I love verse seven. The cow will feed with the bear. Well, I don't know what that means. But like, you know, the cow is going to be eaten with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. Anybody hate snakes out there? Okay, well, they're going to be in heaven and, and your baby infant is going to be playing with them. Did you catch that? Like, we can't even think or envision of it. And then it gets, I was just reminded this morning, it gets even crazier that the whole of the cobra and the young child was put his hand into the viper's nest. Not even just the viper, the viper's nest, because the little vipers, you know, they can't control their venom and you're more likely to die. I, I think it's incredible that we're going to be in right relationship with God and humans and even creation itself, even the animals. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That this world is not as it should be. It's not as God intended it. That's why we studied last week. You know, we are given revelation 
not so that we can prepare by building bunkers in our backyards. It's so that we could prepare by inviting people into our lives to live on mission with Jesus until he returns to tell them the good news of eternity in heaven. And that remember it at the end, it's not Satan that destroys everything. It's God's wrath. Why does God destroy everything? Because he's had enough. He doesn't want this world to be like this with all this pain and suffering. Well, then why does he hurry up and do it? Because he's waiting for the last person to come to Christ out of his compassion that the last soul will be with him in heaven. But here at this moment in Revelation 21, it is done. He's had enough. Everything is going to change and that this world is not as it should be. Romans 8 verse 19 says this, the creation waits in eager expectations for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration. In original created order in the Garden of Eden, we got along with the animals. Humans didn't die. There wasn't pain and suffering. And what he's saying is that that frustration was not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope, verse 21, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. People won't die anymore. Plants won't die. Animals won't die. There'll be no more decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been growing as in the pains of childbirth leading uh, right up to the present time. That it compares the, the, the trials that we've gone through as humankind as the pains of childbirth leading up to the moment when Jesus returns, it's finished and we're finally with God. And by the way, uh, this analogy of child pains and birth is what really God uses throughout scripture is the signs of the end times that I didn't have time to get into this morning, but we're going to be looking at it on Facebook Live noon this Wednesday. And I believe it's all pointing to that there's going to be a time where it's finally done, God's had enough, and he's putting the world right. Why? Number two, in this reunion, God will dwell with us so there will be no more pain. He's had enough. He wants to be with us. Look what it said again in verses three to five. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, or behold, God's dwelling is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And they'll talk about wipe away every tear, no more pain. But we don't understand God's heart was always to dwell with us, to be with us, among us. And I shared this uh, briefly last week, but in case you missed it, throughout the entire story of the Bible, God created Adam and he walked with him in the Garden of Eden because he wanted to live with him and dwell with him. They rebel and reject God in their life and they're cast out of the Garden of Eden. No more paradise. Now there's death. And yet God doesn't give up. He says, you'll be my people and I will be your God. I'll make your descendants as many of the sand of the seashore. He gives them the Ark of the Covenant and his presence literally resides with them there in the wilderness for 40 years while they're traveling through the desert. They build a big tent, a tabernacle, which literally means a dwelling place, by the way, so that God could dwell with them when they're nomadic people living in the wilderness. Then they finally get into the promised land and they build a Beth, which means house, El, God, a house of God. Bethel is the word temple in Hebrew. They build him a house because he's supposed to dwell with them. 
the Ark of the Covenant kept in the Holy of Holies. And when Jesus finally, because they still rebel against God, he sends the prophets. They don't listen to the prophets. Finally, he sends his only son. And when Jesus is crucified at three o'clock on the Passover, by the way, the same time when the Passover lamb would have been slain, that he took the sin of humanity for all time. In that moment, the temple curtain is torn in two because God no longer is going to dwell in a building. It teaches us now that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit if we repent of our sin and receive the gift of salvation and forgiveness in Christ and receive his Holy Spirit in our life, he now dwells with us. So finally, back to Revelation, when it says that he dwells with us, he's like, finally, I've been trying forever. And I finally had to end it all so that I could be with you. That, that you we're going to see here in a moment, you're going to get to see God face to face. Now, some of you, that's going to freak you out. But that we finally get to be in the presence of God, that he's going to dwell with us eternally. And the reunion of heaven, that's what, you ready for some deep theological teaching? And in the study of heaven, over the last 2,000 years, there are two uh, areas of emphasis that some people emphasize the theocentric side. Theo meaning God at the center. That uh, The theocentric is God is going to dwell with us and be with us, and that's entirely true. The other side is the anthropocentric. Anthro uh, means uh, human, that human uh, paradise is at the center. The restoration of the Garden of Eden. And it's actually both. That's how amazing God is. See, the, the third point that I want to share with you about the reunion is that we will live in paradise with God. I've alluded to it, but you're not going to be floating around on the clouds. Now, I believe that your loved ones are like, I've, I'm actually doing a funeral today. And, and I believe when we've had people in our community who have passed away, that those who know Christ go to be with him immediately, just like the thief on the cross but that one day when Jesus returns and it is done and the resurrection occurs and you're given a physical perfected body and you live here on uh, heaven and earth together in paradise with God at the center of it and a restored version of the Garden of Eden. Let me show you because in most Bibles, it actually had the header for uh, Revelation 22 verses one to five is Eden restored. It uses the image of Eden to describe heaven with God at the center of it. Verse one in, in Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb. So God's at the, the center of it. The lamb is talking about the, the son of God, Jesus, fully God and fully human. Verse two, down the middle of the great street of the city on each side of the river stood the tree of life. You remember that imagery? The tree of life from the garden of Eden. That that what Jesus did on the cross atoned and covered up for our sins so that we could be made right with God and have the Holy Spirit in our life. But one day he's going to return and when he's going to put the world right and we're going to live with God at the center at the way he had always intended it to be. And you're going to be in right relationship, not only with him, but with every other human being. I know for some of you, that's hard to believe. You have trouble getting along with any person in your life. But if you've received the salvation of Christ, he begins to change you both now and then eternally in heaven. You're going to have right relationships with humans. And then you're going to have right relationships with creation itself. The earth isn't going to be dying anymore. There's not going to be any more pain or suffering. You're even going to have great relationships with all the animals. Some of you that hate snakes are going to be having them wrapped around your neck. You're going to be walking around like Jake the snake. Come on now. WWE reference. Come on. 
you know, like it's going to be amazing. And like we have this version of heaven that is so dull and doesn't seem to be this fantastic experience that we read about here. Verse two, or uh, the second half, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. You're not going to be hungry. There will be no more starvation and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. You're not going to die. There'll be no more death. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face. That the Bible teaches us that when all is said and done and we go to the, the judgment seat, that you will see Jesus face to face. And I want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. But the reality is, what we did with our knowledge of Christ, this side of heaven, will be represented in heaven eternally. For those who are Christian that have salvation, those who have really suffered on the account of Christ, there will be recognition of that in heaven. It uses the analogy throughout Revelation and other places in Scripture of a crown, different types of crowns that people will receive. It means that there will be representation for those who have suffered and lived for Christ, for the martyrs of the faith in countries where they, they, it's hard to live as a Christian. They will be re revered for their sacrifice for the kingdom of God. That we will be in perfect paradise with right relationships and we will see God face to face, face and his name will be on their foreheads. Now, I don't think that means when you get to heaven, you're gonna have like Jesus written on your forehead, right? Like uh, we, we sometimes uh, overdo this as using, uh, again, uh, analogies to talk about real things that in, throughout Revelation, there is this concept that you will be marked correct? Like we're all familiar with the mark of the beast. I didn't uh, have time to get into that in much detail last week, but in essence, it's uh, referred to in Revelation as the mark given to those that reject God and instead choose to follow Satan and the Antichrist. And if you're like, oh man, what if I mess up and I accidentally do something and get the mark? I didn't know it and it just happened accidentally. That's not how the mark of the beast works. You know, what is the great unforgivable sin in the New Testament that it talks about? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That, and that doesn't mean you accidentally misspoke something. It means that you have rejected God and the work of his spirit in your life and has chosen to rebel against him and to follow your own selfish desires, which is really what Satan, the adversary, is after. And, and so what it's saying here is that if you choose instead to rebel against God, and yes, there's the one verse that you won't be able to buy or sell in Revelation chapter 13, but that's a part of that tribulation time period, and that you have rejected God, and instead you have been branded by Satan, so to speak. And in this case, everyone who is in heaven, it says the name, Jesus' name will be written across their forehead. It's not literally going to be branded on your forehead, but it means that you have been sealed by the work of Christ. You have re rejected the work of Satan and his desires for your life, and you have surrendered to the will of Jesus. And you're not perfect, but the atoning sacrifice of Christ makes up for your mistakes and wrongdoing, and you genuinely have received his grace and forgiveness. That when you see him face to face, his name will be written on your forehead, and there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. 
that because you have been sealed by Christ, you will live eternally in heaven, which is not someplace in the clouds, but it's paradise, heaven and earth coming together, Eden fully restored. Can you picture it? Like you picture your spring break and what you think it's gonna be like. It is nothing in comparison to what heaven is gonna be like. And we make it seem like it's better to live here. That's crazy. Now, look, I don't think you need to be a fatalist to say, well, why even bother living then? No, God has given you breath in your lungs. You've every second you can on this planet to serve him, to bring joy to other people's lives, to live the way that God would desire you to be. But don't think that when all is said and done, we need to mourn those who knew Christ and have passed. Heaven is going to be way better, way better than this is right here. And as I kind of wrap this up, I'm going to share, you know, I went on one spring break that was fun. We went down to Florida and not the time we went to Disney World. That was a huge disaster. <laughs> How many of you, you, Disney World just means you uh, leave with screaming, crying kids every time. Okay. The rest of you, you're lucky. But one time we were down there and we went to a beach and we walk out on the beach and we just had this great week there, great weather saw animals and God's creation and all that kind of stuff. And I went out to the beach. This doesn't seem great at first, but I saw there was this unique year where there was just thousands of these large, beautiful shells that had like snails living inside of it. And they would come up in the, at night and you'd walk out in the morning. There'd just be thousands of them on the beach. And so I went with my son, Jake, he's 13, but at the time he was real little. And we went out to the beach and I, you know, I picked one up and he was like, dad, can we keep it? And I was like, no, look, there's a living creature inside. And so I took it and I chucked it back into the ocean. He's like, why'd you throw it? I said, oh, well, because if he's out here in the sunlight, I was worried he might get dried up and die. So I threw him back into the ocean. And then he looked at the thousands of snails on the beach and he goes, so are these all going to die? So I'm not making this up. I was like, oh no, what have I done? We spent like the next hour <laughs> walking up and down the beach, taking snails and chucking them back into the ocean. And you're like, oh, that sounds miserable. No, it was so fun because I was getting to spend time with my son and God's beautiful creation in the middle of it. We were saving lives, baby. Oh my goodness. We walk away and we saved like a thousand snails that day. It was incredible. And see, I think that sometimes on this side of heaven, we underappreciate what heaven is going to be like. So we don't tell our friends and family members about eternal salvation and living in paradise with God, saving their lives eternally because we're afraid it might bring hardship to our lives or it might not go well. We got all this fear and anxiety that Satan loves to distract us with. But I'm telling you, when you're in the habit of letting God use you to save lives, it doesn't just save the life of your friend or family member. It makes you in the process grow so much closer to God. And I wonder how many of us this Easter, when culture is actually on our side, the one time more than any other Sunday during the entire year, that if you invite a family member or friend to an Easter service, they will actually show up. Now don't just invite them to a worship service, invite them into your home, man. But pray that that little 
postcard you've got on your seats, that's very inexpensive to print, but it, it represents a life that could be eternally changed by a simple invitation. Pray over each one. Pray over your family members and friends, those in your sphere of influence. Invite them. Why? Because you want to tell them about the good news that you can receive eternal salvation to be allow God to dwell in your life now and then dwell with him eternally in perfect paradise. It's way better than anything on this planet. And if you don't like the pain and suffering of this world and the wars that occur, neither does God. And one day it's going to be done. He is the alpha. He is the omega. He is the beginning and the end. There will be a moment where it is all done and we will get to be with him forever in paradise. And I believe that heaven is under attack because one, we think heaven can wait. We think it's not that great, so heaven can wait. But Psalm 8410 says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand in any more on this planet that you could ever spend. So don't think that you're missing something by only worrying about the here and now. Like the, this eternity is going to be the greatest thing that you could ever experience. And then number two, we believe that most people are going to heaven. But Matthew 7 verse 13 says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Why do we pray? Why do we invite people to Easter? Why do we live differently? If we could just like survive and get through life and go to heaven when we die? Because there are people in your sphere of influence that God has supernaturally placed there and narrow is the gate, but you have the solution. You have Christ eternal. And if we really believe that heaven is gonna be everything that we've just talked about, if we really believe everything we've studied for the last four weeks, the most important thing in your life, uh, in the rest of your days on this planet, whether that's one year, 10 years, 50 years, the rest of your days on this planet is how many people are you taking with you? How many people are you taking with you? Because God wants to dwell with them. He wants to be with the people in our lives and he wants to be with you eternally in heaven. And so if you're sitting here and you're like me that used to lay in bed at night going, what's gonna happen to me when you die? Romans 10, nine says very clearly, those who confess Jesus Lord with their lips will receive eternal salvation. You don't have to question it. You'll be eternally with him in heaven. And I wanna give you the opportunity to respond to that now and say, I want my place in heaven one day and I wanna take some people with me. Will you pray with me? God. I thank you for every person in this room right now, Jesus. And I know that there's even one person here right now that has never given their life to you, that doesn't know that they're going to be in heaven one day. And they don't have to live second-guessing that, God. We can know for certain that we have our place there if we believe and receive your free gift of mercy. And so, Right now, if you'd like to receive salvation in Christ, pray this silently as I pray it out loud. God, I confess that I need you. Forgive me for trying to do life without you. I repent of anything in my life that's not uh, honoring to you. And on this day, March 27th, 2022, I surrender my life to you fully, Lord Jesus. Use me. And then God, for the others in the room, that maybe as we were talking about the hope that we have in Christ and throwing those snails back into the ocean, that there are lives that you have called us to share the gospel with, to help save lives this side of heaven. 
If there's anybody right now that God has just laid on your mind, they're like, man, I need to talk to them. I need to invite them to Easter. Let's pray for them right now. Just take 20 seconds right now. God, we beg you that you would minister to each of those people. Use this Easter, use this season to help people return home to eternally. The great reunion forever, the new heaven, the new earth. We surrender this morning to you and we pray for these people in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen.